From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Separation Anxiety, Part 1. This patient can also develop late retinal tears, suggesting that perhaps the vitreous was not initially completely detached. First this. You're enjoying As Seen From Here, the landmark podcast from the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, launched way back in February of 2005. Why not enjoy some of the other ASCRS offerings, including the ASCRS Symposium in Congress, the meeting to end all meetings in ophthalmology, or the ASCRS Winter Update, where you can meet one-on-one with some of ophthalmology's most important leaders in a beautiful setting. Or see the future of ophthalmology at iSpace MD, the global ophthalmic classroom brought to you by the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. If you're a resident, check out openophthalmology.com, an extensive lecture series on clinical optics. And remember, Residents and fellows can join the ASCRS at no cost. But please, don't do any of these things until you've enjoyed this episode of As Seen From Here. I like Wagner. I often play ring cycle operas while I see patients, and there are some parallels. Like posterior vitreous detachments, it's easy to tell when the opera starts And a lot like Wagner, one has no idea exactly when it's going to end. I tell patients that PVD is a process, not an event. I examine the PVD patient when he first experiences symptoms and again three or four weeks later. If I see a Weiss's ring, I tell the patient that the process has concluded and that the risk of detachment is now reduced. Ah, life was so simple. Then Jose Lorenzo Carrero published results of his recent study on incomplete PVDs. And, well, let's just say the fat lady isn't going to sing anytime soon. My conversation with Dr. Carrero was lengthy and detailed. I'll present it in two parts. We'll hear part one today and the conclusion next time. Before OCT, how much time was it believed that a PVD would take from its beginning to its completion? Before OCT, there was a common belief that PVD occurred rapidly, uh, mostly because the patients described an set of floaters and flashes, an acute event. And studies done in the 60s found that almost every patient older than 50 years and complaining of acute appearance of floaters and flashes had a complete PVD. And I think This fact is because the diagnosis of PVD is based mostly in the identification of the waste rain and also due to the the time frame, very precise and very short, during which the patients relate their symptoms. The recognition of, of, of partial PVD at that time appeared to be very low, which supported the concept that the process of bitter detachment once began proceed to completion Uh, in a relatively short period of time. 
hypothetically, the explanation for, uh, for PVD occurring so rapidly was that in some way, a spontaneous tear develops in the posterior vitreous cortex, allowing for a rapid flow of liquid vitreous through the retrocortical space, uh, and separating the posterior vitreous from the retina. And this event was called a, a, a rheumatogenous PVD. I, I think this is the reason. Prior to your study, what evidence existed that the time course for PVD was indeed longer? Well, uh, if you want, the, the previous hypothesis could explain most of the, of the clinical settings. So it could explain uh, uh, the sudden onset of symptoms coincident with the identification of a waste ring. could also explain the incidence of complicated PVD like retinal tears, vitreous hemorrhage, and retinal detachment. But these are complications caused by dynamic traction of firm vitro-retinal uh, adhesion uh, exert on focal areas of retina, and they present close in time to the presentation of symptoms of PVD. But, but it cannot explain why retinal tears can appear weeks, months, or even years later in eyes that had been previously diagnosed with uncomplicated PVD. Or, or even why in patients who had a complicated PVD with a retinal tear, so meaning that at least there was to some extent a PVD. This patient can also develop late retinal tears, suggesting that perhaps the vitreous was not initially completely detached. And what I think most important is that it cannot explain the pathogenesis of macular holes or vitreomacular traction syndromes and perhaps epiretinal members uh, as well. On, uh, on the other hand, there were pathological uh, and post-mortem studies that show a much lower prevalence of complete posterior vitreous detachment than what was generally believed after clinical studies. Later on, there were also studies employing ultrasounds which confirm in vivo these results. Uh, there were also clinical studies using detailed biomicroscopy to examine the vitreous, and these studies revealed that almost 40% uh, of age-related PVDs, I mean uncomplicated PVDs, were actually partial PVDs. While we're on the subject of epimacular membranes, what is the nature of the association between PVD and epimacular membranes? Well, um... There are three hypotheses that relate epimacular membranes to PVD. The first one states that uh, posterior vitreous separation from the internal limiting membrane can uh, may cause a, a focal disruption of the ILM, allowing glial cells to gain access to the retinal surface and proliferate to form an epiretinal membrane. Well, but I think this is, this is unlikely. As you know today, we remove the ILM in most eyes operating on for macular holes or, or, or for epimacular membranes. And on the contrary, we do that precisely to avoid recurrence of epimacular membranes. So probably ILM has no any causative role in macular holes or epimacular membranes. We do that just because in this way, we can be sure that all vitreous is removed from the surface of the retina. The second hypothesis states that uh, epimacular membranes may develop over remnants of cortical vitreous, 
that remain adhering to the ILM after PVD. Uh, I think that, that eyes which develop symptomatic PVD may have some pre-existing abnormal vitro-retinal adherence. If this adhesion cannot be completely overcome during PVD, an incomplete or abnormal PVD develops causing traction of the retina, and which means that perhaps a, a low-grade inflammation from chronic vitromacular traction is created, which may promote fibrocellular proliferation. This is the typical case of a vitromacular traction syndrome. Um, on the other hand, if this traction may, may either also lead to delamination of the cortical vitreous, leaving a residual islands of vitreous cortex that, that may contain cells of glial origin uh, that can migrate, proliferate to form an epimacular membrane. An autopsy series of normal human eyes with a spontaneous PVD revealed that up to 44% of eyes with PVD had actually, they had cortical vitreous remnants at the phobia. The, the third and last hypothesis relates epimacular membranes to retinal tears. In these uh, cases, release of cells from the RPE uh, and blood cells at the time of retinal tear formation may stimulate the formation of an epimacular, epimacular membrane. Uh, we see epimacular membranes containing RPE cells, and they are commonly found in cases of macular pucker and PVR membranes developed after retinal detachment. What question did your study seek to answer, Jose? Well, this study was designed to, to answer uh, two questions. First, first question, uh, what is the prevalence of incomplete forms of posterior vitreous detachment? at the moment of presentation of an acute asymptomatic PVD. And the second question is, uh, uh, what is the clinical relevance of incomplete PVD? So does it predispose to complication specifically related to PVD as retinal tears or, epi or, or epimacular membranes? Can I get you to describe the design of your study, Jose? Yes. Well, this is a prospective study. So, uh, patients included in the study were consecutively uh, recruited from, from, the, from an emergency department. They were patients who had no previous ocular history and they were diagnosed with acute and uncomplicated PVD. The classification of the vitreous status was based on kinetic ultrasound examination. Uh, based on this classification, a complete PVD was established when the detached posterior vitreous cortex could be delineated up to the vitreous base without showing any adherence to the retina located posterior to the vitreous base. An incomplete PVD was established whenever any vitreous retinal adherence could be detected at the posterior, uh, posterior to the globe equator, no matter if it is at the equator or at the posterior pole. After that, a multivariate analysis estimated the association of, of, of demographic characteristic of the patients to incomplete PVD at presentation. These variables were age, sex, uh, ocular axial length, presence of lattice-like degeneration, uh, and complaints of flashes. 
So after being classified, the, the, the patients uh, as having complete or, or incomplete PVD, they were instructed to return for further evaluation in case they had new or increased symptoms. Otherwise, every patient returned for follow-up evaluation on a yearly basis. At follow-up visits, I searched for complications related to PVD. Uh, and finally, at time to event analysis with all available data from each patient, estimated the probability of developing any adverse outcome of interest. The time to event curves of patients with complete and incomplete PVD were compared to determine whether incomplete PVD at presentation modified the natural history of complete PVD. And what were your results? What were your findings? Well, in total, there were uh, 207 patients with uh, uncomplicated PVDs. And at the conclusion of the study, they had a mean and median follow-up of, of five years. At baseline, approximately 26% of patients had incomplete forms of PVD. The mean age of PVD presentation was uh, 67 years in men and 64 years in women. And there were no difference between men and women having incomplete PVD. However, younger age at presentation, both for men and women, was associated independently to presentation of incomplete PVD. Lattice degeneration was also associated independently with incomplete PVD. So among, among patients with uh, incomplete PVD, 27% uh, of them had lattice degeneration, but only 5.9% of those having a complete PVD had lattice degeneration. There were no difference for those complaining of flasher or flashes or, or, or for patients with longer axial lens. Uh, and after a mean follow-up of five years, 9.7 patients, 9.7% 9, 9, 9 of patients experienced some adverse outcome. Of those having incomplete PVD at baseline, 7.5% had retinal tears, but only one patient had a retinal tear. I mean, one patient with a complete PVD had a retinal tear which represents approximately less than 1% of patients having complete PVD. Concerning epimacular membranes, 11.4% of patients with incomplete PVD developed epimacular membranes versus 5.4% of those with complete PVD. So globally, 19.2% of patients with incomplete PVD and 5.4% of patients with complete PVD had some complications related to PVD, which was statistically significant. So concluding that uh, uh, delayed complications uh, related to PVD like retinal tears and epimacular membranes develop more frequently in patients showing incomplete forms of PVD. We'll end the interview here and pick up where we left off next time. Jose Lorenzo Carrero comes to us from the retina unit in the Department of Ophthalmology at the Hospital Povisa in Vigo, Spain. His paper, Incomplete Posterior Vitreous Detachment, Prevalence and Clinical Relevance, 
appears in the March 2012 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Carraro or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.